warning. The Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. If you think you may be too weak to withstand the manliness represented in the following program, please do yourself a favor and stop listening now. If you choose to continue in spite of this warning, if at any time you feel yourself overcome by the manliness, stop immediately and consult your closest medical professional. And now, for the not-so-fair, faint, or frilly, we present The Catholic Man Show. And welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. I am Adam Minahan sitting here with my best bud, David Niles, in studio with a very special guest that I've been very excited about since, uh, well, I guess it's only been yesterday that we got a confirmation that it was actually going to happen. Yeah. But we were, we were teased by Father Sean O'Brien, who has been on our show even recently, who said, we may be able to make this happen. I'm not sure. Could it possibly happen? And so we've been on our we've been on like pins and needles waiting to see if we mm-hmm. can get it yeah. confirmed. Yeah. Boom, confirmed yesterday. So we're very excited to have you, Father Philip. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this evening. That's a huge buildup, but it's, it's good to be here. <laughs> I hope I live up to expectations. Uh, for those who don't know, maybe a little bit of background of who, of, of who you are, where you came from, what you do right now. Sure. So I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I grew up about six miles outside the city. And was ordained there in May of 1999, and with uh, 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 Father uh, Archbishop Charles Chaput. That's right. Yes, that's right. We had an opportunity to uh, interview him last year in Phoenix. Yeah, he's awesome. Great man. He's great. Yeah. And uh, around 2009, um, I uh, became involved with the Courage Apostolate, which is uh, pastoral support for people who uh, are experiencing same-sex attraction and have made a choice to live a chaste life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the their group in Philadelphia uh, lost their chaplain, and one of the lay leaders of the group was a parishioner of mine at the time, and asked if I could get involved and help out. So, did that for five years uh, while I was in a parish there in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, four years ago, mm-hmm. um, I was invited to uh, come alongside Father Paul Check, who was uh, our executive director at the time uh, in our in the main Courage office, our administrative office up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked with him for two years, and then uh, two years ago took over from him as executive director. So now I serve the apostolate full time. So who who founded Courage? Courage was founded by Father John Harvey, who's an oblate of St. Francis de Sales. Okay. Uh, in 1980 in New York and Cardinal Terrence really Cook, yeah I didn't know I see I didn't know it went back that long oh yeah, back yeah. And far, yeah. Uh, next year will be our 40th anniversary yeah. awesome oh, that's awesome yeah. Um, and Cardinal Cook Terrence Cook was the, mm-hmm. the Archbishop at the time and he had met a number of people uh, who using Pope Francis's language today we would describe as being on the margins you know and so he had a, this big initiative to reach out to them and and among the people that that he had met were people who as I said you know were living uh, sometimes identifying as gay sometimes in in, in that life and in, in homosexual relationships but were coming to understand that that God wanted them to do something different with their life to embrace chastity and they weren't sure 
what to do. And so um, Cardinal Cook reached out to some some priest on his staff who had heard about Father Harvey and invited him to come and, and just have a, a group to get these folks together just in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And so late September of 1980, uh, that first group met. And I think there were more priests there than actual members of the group at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but it grew pretty quickly. And um, the Catholic press in New York uh, found out about it and started writing articles. And so the um, the idea spread. And so the first uh, the first group in Philadelphia was ni- a couple years later, 1982, uh, spread to Philadelphia and Boston and, and other larger cities at first. And so now there's about 180 courage chapters uh, in 17 countries, I think, uh, around oh, the world. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I don't think either Father Harvey or that first group could have imagined like that night in September that it would be what it is today. But uh, that's typically how God works, though, right? It's oh, like absolutely. You don't yeah. realize what's actually yeah. going to happen and the fruits that are actually going to come from these kind of things yeah, until sure. until uh, it actually God gets a hold of it and gets going. Yeah. <laughs> and then another part of our apostolate started soon after, you know, as people found out about courage, then uh, parents and spouses of people who are identifying as as uh, LGBT. Uh, we're calling Father Harvey and saying, look, my, my son, my daughter, my spouse, like they've told me this and they're not really practicing the faith. And we've had some arguments about this. I'm not sure how to handle it. You know, how do I keep the faith and keep my family strong? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and so he would counsel them individually at first and then started kind of putting them in contact with each other. Uh, and so that developed into what we call Encourage, uh, which is, you know, the other branch of our apostles founded, kind of made official around 1992. Uh, and there's about 90 encouraged chapters uh, around the world for parents, spouses, siblings, uh, friends of people who are wondering, like, how do I, you know, what am I supposed to do with, with what my faith tells me is right? But, you know, how do I still love this person who's, who's part of my life and obviously needs my love? So, um, so we gather with them as well to support them and get them talking to each other and sharing their lives together. That's okay. really cool. Okay, so specifically, who is Courage for? So courage is for for people mostly Catholic, although we have some non-Catholic members, okay, um, who are experiencing same-sex attraction themselves mm-hmm. and who are hearing God's call to embrace chastity. Um, and so we have five goals for our apostolate. Um, the first goal is to to live chaste lives according to what Which the church. Is, we're teaches. all called to do exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, if you're for a lot of people um, in our apostolate, not all of them, but many of them. Uh, what they're looking at is, is a single life, right? Because they're mm-hmm. not they're not drawn to the opposite sex in a way that they would envision getting married, and so mm-hmm. that can be a big sacrifice to make. Sure. You know, if you're oh, yeah. if you're a celibate priest, you've got community, you've got uh, structure, tradition. You know, if you're a single person living in the world, then it can be a much more daunting kind of thing. So the other four goals support the first goal, right? Mm-hmm. So to develop a life of of prayer and dedication. That's goal number two. Uh, Which again, we all should be doing. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the third goal is is to um, you know to support one another uh, in a spirit of fellowship based mm-hmm. on sharing experiences. You know, so it's not mm-hmm. public confession. It's just saying you know this is what's been going on in my life, and and then other people have the opportunity to say, well, I've been where you are, and this is what I found worked for me. And, um, so that we overcome that 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 what what always is a barrier to to growth and embracing the cross feeling like i'm the only person in the world that has to deal with this you know right um so we create that spirit of fellowship uh fourth goal is to develop chaste friendships both in the group and then in the rest of life Uh, because you can't you can't live a chaste life you can't live a happy life or the life of a disciple without good friendships right and then the fifth goal is to uh to live lives that can give good example to others so like you say i mean it's not not 
unique to people who experience same-sex attraction. Yeah, because all like, those goals I'm sitting there thinking like, that should be my goal. That should be my exactly. goal. That should be my goal. I exactly, mean, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I totally agree. So uh, I want to make sure that we. I have like a lot of questions for you, sure. but um, one of the things, your first goal when you were talking about, um, you know, a, a, the single life vocation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My our, our mutual friend Daniel Matson, great guy. Go follow him on Twitter. His book, uh, Why I Don't Call Myself Gay, is Excellent. is a phenomenal book. I have it right down there in my yeah. bookshelf. <laughs> Um, it's a it's a highly recommended book. Yeah, he uh, did a really good job of really a good blend of here's like the brutal uh, or like very like here's just what happened to me, you know, mm-hmm. without yeah, sugarcoating his story, truth, absolutely. yeah, but without making it like scandalous or you know like mm-hmm. he just I think it would be so hard to do. But his did, book is so well written. Yeah, very well. But he he asked me the other uh, other day to ask you. How do we cultivate like what does the single life vocation look like? How do we how do we cultivate that and, and share that with other people? Like sure. tell them because you know, married life we understand, priestly vocation we understand, yeah. religious life we understand. Yep. Uh, and so people who struggle with the same sex attraction, what does that single life look like? Yeah, or even single or even life in, in general. general. Yeah. And especially for men, whereas some women maybe they would be a consecrated virgin. You know, you just don't mm-hmm. see that. That's just not something I don't. I don't even. Do, does that even exist for men? I have sure, no idea. Hermits. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Kind of, yeah. So what does that look like? Well, you know what? I think what makes every vocation the same is that it's all based on where do you make your gift of self, mm-hmm. right? And nobody gets mm-hmm. out of this life without yeah. making gift of self. Like that's actually from uh, from Vatican II, the uh, Constitution on the Church in the Modern World. It says it's only by making a sincere gift of self that a human being knows who he is, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every vocation, you're laying down your life somewhere, right? Um, so in marriage for your spouse, in uh, in the religious life, the consecrated life, it's to the community and to the church as like a radical example of holiness. Uh, in the priest, priesthood, it's you make that gift to yourself to to the, the local church and to your parish as like a servant leader. Um, and I think with the single life, it's it, it actually it, it seems like a very kind of ill-defined you know w- right. place but but i think it's because there's so much variety in where you can make a gift of self so uh, a, a single person has to be intentional about you know being dedicated somewhere whether it's to their parish or to their family you know a lot of times there's you know uh maybe one uh member of a family who doesn't get married because a parent an elderly parent needs needs their help at home and you know at first it seems like an imposition but then they realize like this is really how god is calling me to pursue holiness by dedicating myself to to caring for this member of my family and then that just makes them available for you know to be committed to the whole family in, in a mm-hmm. real, rather unique way um sometimes it's it's um making a, a gift of self to if you're a teacher to your to your students if you're a coach to your team you know whatever mm-hmm. it might be um i think it's so important to uh, to really hold that out as like a goal and not a second best like consolation prize kind of love, right. you know. There's uh, one friend of mine, you know, I, I don't get a chance to talk to him often, but when I do, it's usually like on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning because he's been to a wedding, right? Uh-huh. And he's just feeling down because like everybody's being passionate and 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 committed, and it's like, well, where am I going to find that? Like, where, where's my normal life? Where am I going to be able to give myself? And I, I tell him like if if you feel that that desire to love committedly and passionately like, that's a god-given desire so he's got a plan for you to do that right and mm-hmm. and he he happens to be a teacher and a coach and, like you know if you give yourself like fully to to your students especially the ones who nobody else seems to care about or you know people overlook like that's where you're going to be able to exercise that passionate commitment in, in friendship and dedication yeah 
Uh, that 12 minutes flew by. We didn't even get a chance to say that we've been sipping on a little bit of Lefroig. Uh, but when we get back, we're going to continue talking to Father Philip. I'm here with David Niles. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan and Father Philip Bochanski, director of... Executive director. Executive director. Executive director, please. President, director, <laughs> CEO, you know, Grand Poobah. I think, to, you know, like, to me, these things are all the same. I know, I know that they're different. I know that they're different, but it's like, yeah, you're in charge of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so we were just talking about the single vocation. Okay, cool. before we get going... Because we didn't even, like oh, yeah. we didn't talk anything about Lefroy. Okay, like, yeah, you're right. Um, we we'll should get ahead of, we should yeah. give honor where honor is due. Yes. Uh, Thus, we have glasses filled with delicious gold Lefroy. That's yes. what we're drinking today. Shouldn't Just, surprise any of you. Yeah, anybody <laughs> who's been listening, listening to our show, show, you know we like it. Yes. So, so we decided to. Uh, kind of throw the format out because we just wanted to have a, a, a great conversation with Father Philip. Mm-hmm. We, Dave and I had more questions than what could be answered even on this show. Yeah, this so. is format B. Let's call it. I think yeah, it's format I like B. Format B. Yeah. We just had a format B with Thomas Lackey recently. Yeah, a couple so, of them. Yeah. So, okay. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure we, we got that out. Yeah. I, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you did that. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So, uh, we were talking about this single vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm married and so... I now have come to learn that women, my, my wife has made me a better man. And in some ways, she knows what a man should be because she knows it's what she isn't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like right. the thing that compliments her is what she, a man should be. And so she almost has some insight into manhood that I don't have. Um, and so I feel like there might be something here with the married vocation, uh, you know, working together with the single vocation um like maybe this someone how important is it for a married couple you know me let's just say me to reach out to you know someone who might be living the single vocation and to you know bring them into the family is that is that what should we is that what we should do oh absolutely whenever you have the opportunity i mean it's i think we everybody needs community you need friends to get to heaven right yeah and so um you know, I, I think especially when, when someone is living the single life, you know, the temptation is to, first of all, always the temptation is to look at what you don't have instead of what you do have. Right. right. Mm-hmm. That's literally the oldest trick in the book. Right. Yeah. That's that's how the original sin worked. Right. She's surrounded by paradise, every good thing that she could possibly want. And what does the serpent do? He gets her to focus on the one thing she doesn't have. Yeah. And that's all she can see. Yeah. And she's just dwelling on it, obsessing on it, and then all of paradise fades in the background and becomes bitter and dry and hard because she can't have the one thing, right? Yeah. And so whatever we can do to help people um, to see really how has God blessed you, you know, with friends, with family, with kind of an adoptive family, you know, it um, it just it, it just means so much I think to anybody who's kind of 
caught in that trap of like that spiritual tunnel vision, you know, where if I don't have that, then I have nothing and mm-hmm. the church won't give me that or, or, you know, God won't give me that. And so therefore I should just take what I want for myself. Right. And again, it's not unique to, to the experience of same sex attraction. Like this is just how, how the devil gets at us. Right. He still uses that trick because it always works. Well, right? That's yeah. kind of what prompted my question. Cause I was sitting here thinking like, man, if I was single, let me tell I know what I would do. I would do this. And it's like, here's all the stuff that I, here's all the ways I don't have time to serve the Lord because I have kids, you know, and I've got, I have to be there every day to put my kids down. And it's like, mm-hmm. you, you have to brush their teeth every day. Like, do, you, do you know? Like, it's like, we, like the, tonight when I was doing that, I was brushing their teeth like, God, you just require a lot of, like service. Uh-huh. You know? And somehow we think that St. Joseph never had to do that. Right. Or like, oh, our yeah. la- or like our lady never changed a diaper. Right? Yeah. Right. You know, but that's that was their path to holiness for most of Jesus's life. Right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Is just being close to God and serving him in daily little tasks. Right. So that's that's how a married couple does it. That's how we all do it is is just by, as St. Paul says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Put your whole self into it and, and don't do it for human praise. Do it. Do it for him. Yeah. yeah, and that and one of the another old trick that the devil tries to do is this whole divide and conquer thing. Sure. You know, and th- that goes for like Dave and I talk to a lot of men in men's groups and things like that, and guys think that they're the only ones struggling with certain sins. They're the only ones trying to raise a holy family. They're the only ones trying to you know be countercultural. Right. And that's not that's far from true. Right. Uh, and really, what we need is authentic friendship. Absolutely. Uh, I, I I heard I saw this tweet and I, I showed it right before we we, we got went on air and, and you were like you, you you'd seen it too. Uh, it's Avera. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Avera. But Avera Maria, and she's at Diary four uh, four seventy six. But she she just tweeted today about how really what people who with same sex attraction want are are just authentic friendship. Mm-hmm. They just want to to know that they're they're needed just like everybody else does. Like Dave and I have been best friends since we were five years old. You know, we live across the street from each other right now. Right. You know, uh, the friendship that we have has helped us grow in holiness. And if it wasn't for him, I, uh, th- you know, it, it would be very, it would be a lot different. It would be uh, bad. It would be bad. It would be bad. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and, but that's, but that's the, uh, I mean, that's what everybody wants, right? They just want to know that they, that they're loved, they they're needed, that that they have somebody beside them that has their back. You yep. know, that they can go into battle with, that they yep. can, you know. And it's such an important thread from Avera, you know, because what she talks about there is she wants this and she sees other people get having it just so like this easy friendship. Right. Mm-hmm. But for her, because of this experience of same sex attraction, she's sometimes second guessing herself. Like, you know, what will they think I want if I, you know, if what I want is just to be have, have a good close intimate conversation like you know do do they automatically assume that that it's a sexual motive behind it and i think that's really uh, that's a symptom of the culture that we're living in that's just Mm -hmm. so over sexualized right yeah that's decided that you know the only important relationships are sexual relationships right and that any strong feeling must be a sexual feeling so that you know, if you were kids, kids today, just hanging around each other and then, you know, hit high school and, and you're still like, this is my best friend. I want to spend my time with him. You know, there would be people around you and the messages from the culture saying, well, maybe that means you're gay. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe that means that what you really want is a sexual relationship. And without any kind of guidance and somebody just say, no, what you're looking for is real friendship. And and uh, and that's what God wants for you. It's what your your family wants for you. It's what the church wants for you to have strong authentic, intimate, chaste friendships. 
um, but because we don't have, because we lose sense of what friendship is meant to be, people get really confused about their emotional life and, and what they want and, and, and it can get sexualized very easily. Yeah. And then sin, you throw sin in there and then sin makes you dumb and you know, right. it, it, I mean, it clouds your judgment and who yeah. knows what happens. So, um, St. Thomas, I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas. He said like the greatest argument against Christianity is the problem of evil. Okay. I, f- I, I feel like maybe the, the big one for like this conversation, someone with same sex attraction is going to say, yeah, you know, we're talking about, oh, you, you know, you're celibate. Uh, but the difference is that you chose that. Yep. I don't have the, cho- you know, I, I don't have a choice. You know what I'm, I'm kind sure. of being forced into this sure. against my will, maybe, you know, and I could see how someone have a lot of resentment. Yeah. What do you say to someone in that position? There's a really interesting article uh, I read in First Things maybe 10 years ago called Celibacy Unchosen, question mark, you know, and the, the author, uh, he found this talk from Pope Pius XII from 1946. And it was to like the this gathering of, of Italian women's groups from all over the country, right, at the Vatican. And he wanted to talk to them about vocation. And he said, you know, vocation, we, we hear that word and we think of this like inspiration, you know, it's crystal clear. This is what God wants me to do. Marry this man or, or go into this religious order or whatever. He said, but that's not always how vocations work. He said, sometimes it's through the circumstances of our life that we hear the Lord calling us. And so this is 1946. Um, just a year after the end of World War II. And so many of the young women that he was talking to were engaged or had to or had boyfriends who were who were killed in the war. Mm. And he's saying, you know, you're you're probably not going to be married because, you know, this because the boy that you had in mind and you thought God had in mind for you isn't is not alive anymore. And so so now what? Right. And you didn't choose that situation. Um, if you had the choice, you wouldn't have have chosen for that to happen. You just kind of want a normal life. And so, but, you know, the challenge now is to hear the Lord's invitation through the circumstances of your life, that even though your heart is broken in a way, through that, he's calling you to a different kind of dedication. You know, as we were saying before, in the single life to your parish, to, to your family, to, to whoever needs your help, you know. And, you know, this author made, made the point, I think it's, it's, it's spot on that, that, you know, people don't choose to be gay, right? They don't choose to experience same-sex attraction. Um, but in through the circumstances of their life, the Lord is still calling them, right? And, and asking them perhaps to, to discern his call uh, through whatever is going on right now and then to make a free choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I call you my friends because I've told you everything I've heard from my father, right? Mm-hmm. And that fr- to be friends and not slaves of the Lord means that he wants us freely to choose to do his will even if and maybe especially when it's not something we would have necessarily chosen for ourselves but that we can we can hear his call in the midst of those circumstances yeah i totally i mean and think about all the people who who have said yes to that call and how much a joy they are to our church and how how big of an influence they've been to our church. i mean the daniel madsons of the yeah. world i mean if it wasn't for them i mean we need those people i mean we need this, those people in in the church right now to be sure i mean and it's just such a blessing to have those guys, those people who have said yes to that it's it's very interesting how God works with that. Like you know, you think, oh, I, I can't I can't give this up. I can't you know I can't do this, Lord. And then you hand it to Him, and then He's like, but look what I had for you in return. Like exactly. it's this huge, overwhelming yeah. flood of grace that they, that He gives you. Yeah. Because he, you thought, oh, I couldn't do it, and He's like, I have bigger plans for you. Right. I remember being a seminarian many years ago, and uh, you know, one of our our professors saying, you know, celibacy is not just about giving up. 
it's always about giving to. In other words, make a sacrifice of this kind of relationship for the sake of this other relationship, namely with God, with the church, with the parishioners that I'm going to be called to serve. And, uh, you know, it's just when you put it in that way as a positive thing rather than just, a, a, you know, a giving something up, it makes all the difference. Yeah. We're here with Father Philip from a Courage. Uh, go check that out. It's CourageRC.org. That's right. Yes, CourageRC.org. We'll be right back. I'm Adam Minahan with David Niles. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Back to the Catholic Man Show. We have Father Sean O'Brien subbing in for Juan Posada this evening, being our producer. We thank him for for hanging out with us. I, I gave him all of two minutes of training. <laughs> so, so so far, he's doing really good. Yeah, you're doing awesome. Um, so thank you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Father Philip. I want to talk about uh, Cardinal Ratzinger's. Uh, letter to the bishops that he had in 1986. Is that correct? 86? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, 1986. Because I read that... Good year. I was born that year. Same here. Yeah, um, really good year. <laughs> Father Sean? <laughs> Father Sean was as well. was better. <laughs> oh, you were born in 87? Oh, uh, okay. okay. Um, but That's I, okay. That was a good year. Too. I read it actually uh, when we had uh, Daniel Matson on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, kind of the show prep. And I actually reread it this afternoon. I was in jury duty, so I had plenty of time to... Uh, <laughs> read um and I, I i was rereading this and you know cardinal ratzinger uh he was head of the cdf mm-hmm. at the time and it was approved by pope saint john paul ii and he, he he sent a letter out to all the bishops um i think there's 18 points i can't remember the, the number but there, i think there's 18 points on addressing homosexuality right and it, if you read this, it's almost prophetic. I mean, he's saying, here's some of the issues that we're going to be having. Here's how to address them. Here's what you should look out for when when, com- when people are saying their organizations trying to bend the rules of the church or mm-hmm. change the morals of the church. Uh, I mean, you re- you're reading this and you're like, man, uh, you know, 1986 was, was, is not, you know, obviously... 2019. It's a different different time period. But for him to see see that ahead of time of some of the issues that are happening, my question, I guess, is uh, one. I think everybody should go read it. But my my, my questions are, uh, what happened with that letter? Uh, how was it received? I was a newborn baby at that time. Um, do you know how that was received uh, with the bishops and the church? And well, you know, it it still remains the 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 most definitive statement of of. Uh, not just Catholic doctrine about sexual morality as it applies to homosexuality, but what the church is looking for in terms of pastoral response. The the, the title of the letter, in case your yeah. listeners want to go looking for it, is Letter to the Bishops of the Church on the Pastoral Care of Homosexual Persons. Okay. Um, and it says some really important things that, that we can't say enough about, right? One is, um, I think it's paragraph 10, it says, It is deplorable 
that uh, people who have homosexual tendencies have been the object of violent malice in speech and in action, right? The, we're, we're, we're very sensitive now, perhaps more than ever, to, um, you know, the reality of unjust discrimination, which, you know, happens in society. It happens from some people in the church. Um, but, you know, it's so important to know, like, the church has, has always had this official stance against that kind of uh, violence. He said, mm-hmm. uh, the letter says, you know, this, this has to be called out and, and condemned by the pastors of the church whenever it occurs, because it, it, just, it, it betrays, a, you know, a real disregard for human dignity. Um, and so that's reflected in, in what the catechism would say some years later, that people who are experiencing same-sex attraction must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, that. And then uh, it has a, a really um, interesting way of, of framing what we would call Christian anthropology. How do we understand the human person from, from uh, the, the Christian point of view, from the point of view of the scripture and, and what God reveals to us about our creation? Uh, and it says in there, I think it's paragraph 15 or 16, um, that the human person can hardly be adequately described by a reductionist reference to his or her sexual orientation, that every person has the same fundamental identity as, first of all, creatures of God, but then by grace, uh, we're called to be sons and daughters of God and heirs to eternal life, right? Mm-hmm. And this actually was was uh, was quoted by the um, in the final document of the Synod that just concluded on, on young people in the faith. Um, you know, going back to this this reality that we we try to see the whole person, and we we look at the experience of, of same sex attraction as part of that person, but not the uh, identity of right, not what defines their their identity. You know, right, yeah. what Dan was getting at when you know he says, "Why well, I don't call myself gay?" Right, right. Um, and then it warns against um, attitudes of of rejecting the church's teaching. Um, and what's probably much more dangerous, uh, what the, the document refers to as a studied ambiguity uh, on what the church teaches, where, well, you know, you have to decide in your conscience if this applies to you. You know, the, the church's teaching is very clear, and uh, and there's a there's a, a place in there where it says that, um, you know, departure from the church's teaching or silence about it in an effort to provide pastoral care is neither caring nor pastoral because only what is true can ultimately be pastoral. And and to neglect the church's teaching deprives people who are living with this experience of the care that they need and deserve, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't do people any favors by not sharing the whole truth with them. Now, like St. Paul said to the Ephesians, you always have to speak the truth in love, right? right. And that means that people of faith, we try to uh, incorporate the faith, we try to live it and, and teach it by good example. We try to understand why the church uses the terminology that it does. and and find ways to, to explain that to people so that they can hear it from wherever they're coming from with whatever engagement with the faith they might have, from whatever uh, pain they might be carrying because of situations in their life. Like you don't, you never beat somebody over the head with the catechism. You're right. always interpreting it first by your own way of living it out, but then by, by finding the right words to get through to somebody. Um, but we, d- we don't help anybody by saying, well, whatever you're feeling must be fine. And so you just do what, what seems to be natural. Yeah. Imagine you taking that with the idea of like pornography with a man. Like if you, if you can justify it, maybe it'd be okay. It's Mm -hmm. like that you're not doing, that's not mercy or justice. Right. Yeah. Or alcoholism or alcoholism. Yeah. I mean, any, I mean, any sin, Mm -hmm. you can take that and apply that to any sin. Now, now one thing that's, I think is important to say, 
um, is that there's the church makes an important distinction between um, actions and uh, inclinations or, or desires, right? Mm-hmm. And that you know to feel a feeling is not a is never sin in itself, right? Our feelings are kind of premoral, right? Sure. They're just the way we react to the world, and so so nobody, absolutely nobody, is is should be condemned or made to feel ashamed of themselves or excluded from the church because they have this experience of of attractions to the same sex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we each, according to the freedom that we're given by God, have to make good decisions about when and if to act on certain feelings, right? And actions are are good or bad. Actions are, are sins or not. Um, but but the simply to experience the attractions is not a sin in itself. Sure. And I think it's important to to say that because you know people, good-hearted people. Um, you know, can get really ashamed of, of feeling that way and figure like, I can never t- share this with anybody. I can never be honest about that this is in my life because all these holy people around me, you know, wouldn't understand and, and they'd reject me or God's rejected me. And, and the message of the church is, no, this is, this is part of reality. This is part of how you're feeling. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it in the context of the big picture of who you are so that we understand what God's plan is and how he wants you to respond to it. Okay, so... Daniel Matson, his book, Why I Don't Call Myself Gay, still, it's used a lot as, as, between different people. I, I hear a lot of different opinions on, you know, should we, you know, persons with same-sex attraction, that's mm-hmm. kind of a mouthful to say all the time. Uh, and if it's also, we're in such a PC, sensitive culture, mm-hmm. you know, like, don't say the wrong thing, you know, sure. microaggression, <laughs> you know, it's like, just very stressful, uh, sure. especially <laughs> for someone who's like, I well, want to do. I, mean, the, the thing. I like, want to we, do the we, right thing. Yeah, I we, don't want to alienate the. Per, you know the. Right. The, right. You know I want to be welcoming, but I also want to, you know, call a whatever a spade a spade. You know, what are we? Su- well, I mean, first of all, it's, it's easy to laugh. I think there's a question yeah. there, but I, yeah, sure, I, I, I hope understand. you know it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's easy to laugh about that because, but we we sometimes forget. Like for someone who has like serious questions about like who am I and where do I fit and. And uh, and do people accept me? Why do they like me? Why do they want me around? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Little things like language are, are hugely important, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you know, it's microaggressions seem funny unless you're on the receiving end of them and you're already hurting. You know? Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, on that that question of like, you know, what does it mean to say you're gay and Catholic, right? Um, I think if somebody were to, were to say that, I think the, the 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 appropriate response to that is dialogue. What do you mean by that? Right, right, because that could mean right, because very in, different. You things. know, what I decide I, I mean by a term is not. I don't have the ability to control what anybody else hears, right, and how they understand that term. And many people, I, I would say, perhaps most people assume if you say that you're gay, that you are, you know, you're you're looking for homosexual relationship, mm-hmm. that you're open to that, that that this is kind of how you look at yourself, right. So if someone says I'm gay and Catholic, well, what do you mean when you say that you're gay? And if what they're saying is, um, well. I, I'm experiencing same-sex attractions, but I understand what the church's teaching is, and I'm striving to live a chaste life. Excellent, right? But maybe calling yourself gay is not the best way to convey that to most people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With, unless you're going to be there to explain it every time, most people are going to not get that message. And so it's not enough to be holy. Like, we have to give good example to others. We have to teach by example. And so maybe there's a better way to express that. Mm-hmm. If what you mean is, well, no, I don't, I think the church is wrong, and... Uh, you know, I, I'm in fact, I am in a relationship. I'm looking for a relationship open to that. This is how I define myself. Uh, well, then we need to talk about what it means to be Catholic, right? Because the, the catechism says that this teaching is based on sacred scripture and consistently taught by the church, which means it's part of the deposit of faith. And it requires not just intellectual assent, but, but the assent of faith. Like it, to be a Catholic means to accept this teaching. Mm-hmm. 
And so we have to talk about that, right? The thing is, if you just, you know, if you just stop at, well, you have to call people what they want to be called and use that label, uh, dialogue stops, right? If you're going to put a label on yourself, that's really easy for me. Like, I don't have to venture anything, risk anything. I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to deal with your messy vulnerability. You know, I can just say, yeah, that's all right. That's your label. Fine. Done. And in a society that's so, like, atomized and, and isolated where, you know, you have... 2000 Facebook friends, but you don't ever see anybody in real life. Like that's a very attractive, tempting thing to just say, good, everybody just use labels. And then I know everything I need to know about you. I don't have to let you get any closer to me. That destroys relationships and it makes our preaching less precise. It makes our understanding of the faith a little muddy and, and it just doesn't work for like human relationships. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Uh, we're here with Father Philip. CourageRC.org is where you want to go. CourageRC.org? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it? Yeah. I got it. Just checking. I got it. <laughs> he's, a, he's making sure. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan, Father Bochansky, Father Sean O'Brien running the button machine over there. Doing a great job. And our friend LaFroig. Yes. There he is. Hand puppets brought to you by Father Sean O'Brien. Okay. Father Philip. What is... <laughs> this is... The, yes. Let's get what is a, a, a difference in uh, like maybe some different issues for men and women? Uh, you know, women with same sex attraction, what challenges do they face maybe different sure. from men? Sure. Well, I think it shouldn't surprise us that they experience it differently because, you know, our whole understanding of sexuality is based on that complementarity between men and women. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have different ways of relating, different ways of um, looking at sexuality, looking at relationships. So, I mean, this is going to be like super overgeneralized and not applied to everyone yes. necessarily. Right. But, I mean, but I think, you know, it, it's fair to say that, that men tend to be more visual, right, in terms of sexual attraction, sexual arousal. Um, and so, you know, I think the common denominator is that, you know, in general, attraction to the opposite sex is attraction to something that I don't have, right? And so, you know, the reason you find your wives fascinating is because they're different from you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think at the heart of same-sex attraction is something like that, still an attraction to something that, you know, that I, I feel I don't have, but sometimes it, it's it's more reflective, it seems, on, you know, different things about oneself that, that might feel like I'm, I'm lacking or I don't fit or I don't measure up or whatever that might be, you know? So I think with the experience of many men in terms of same-sex attraction, it's an attraction to, you know, um, a person who maybe kind of has qualities that, that are attractive because I, I'm, I'm not feeling them in myself, whether it's uh, looking a certain way or being confident or, or athletic, you know, or athletic or whatever it might be, you know? And again, like, it's so important to know that that's that's true because it takes some of the weight off of it when you realize like 
people are just attractive, right? Like, and mm-hmm. there's 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 many ways in which we're drawn to notice a person that are not sexual attraction, that are not, you know, don't have to be a lustful thing, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, what starts out is just noticing somebody, you know, then takes on these overtones of, yeah, but he's got what I don't have. And so uh, I, I, I'm kind of drawn to that, but I'm feeling bad about not having it. So maybe I'll just kind of objectify that and not think about it in terms of the interaction, but just in terms of like what what he's got going on, right? And so... So the experience of attraction for men tends to be like that. Just in the experience of many people that I'm talking to, it's like, you know, they're drawn to to the other person, um, you know, somewhat from external uh, factors first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, With women, I think it's much more about relationship than than just about the visual or the external stuff, right? Yeah. Um, And so many women who experience same-sex attraction describe it as, you know, kind of being drawn into a, a very close friendship, which then becomes more intimate and, and kind of exclusive. And almost like it, the stopping point is not there where it ought to be. You know, the boundary is not there. And so they get drawn more and more into kind of an emotionally interconnected thing that then takes on sexual component to it, you know? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting that the, the male seems to be more uh, sexualized first then a relationship, oh, then a relationship right. and women are more relationships that lead into sexual life which right. is the same in heterosexual in, relationships correct, as well yeah, yeah correct yeah and so and so the, the the key is to understand like what kind of love is appropriate right there's different kinds of love for different kinds of situations and eros or passionate sexual love is a different kind of love than than friendship yeah and and oftentimes what god's calling a person to is to sacrifice eros for the sake of a stronger friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that friendship is is less or second place or anything like that. It's just a different kind of love, and, and it's important to know that too because you know you have I think people today they they want kind of an exclusive, romantic, flirtatious you know relationship. Well, you know I want somebody to be kind of my one and only and and always there and very close. But we know the theology of the body. We know the commandments. We're not going to do anything, right? But eros is tending towards sex, right? Because Eros wants to give a a total gift and receive the total gift of the other person. And as long as the beloved is a human person, total means body and And soul, soul, right? right? And so, you know, you can't pursue like romance and exclusivity and flirtation and those kind of things and say, well, but we're going to stop short of sex because at best you're going to live a very frustrated life, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and so what, what it is, if you, you feel those feelings developing towards someone who can't be your spouse, then, you know, it's time to hand those feelings over to the Lord and, you know, for the sake of maybe purifying that connection and building a strong, chaste mm-hmm. friendship with that It's also just instead. a really bad idea, you know? Like, this is a bad, maybe a, it's a bad analogy, but, you know, if you don't want to go to Chicago, don't go look at how much the bus tickets cost to go to Chicago all the time. You know, Fair it's enough. like, oh, I'm not going to go to Chicago. I just want to, like, see how much the tickets are, yeah. you know, all the time. I'm going to do that. Yeah, we call yeah. that avoiding the occasion. Of right, yeah. right. Um, so I have one follow-up question for this. There, sure. There's this big lie out there that if only you had a sexual relationship, your life would be fulfilled. You know, I think and a lot of people think that, that, you know, oh, I'm not going to ever live a happy, complete life because I don't have this, I don't have sex. Mm-hmm. Why is that a lie? Well, I mean, as a celibate man, and I've been celibate longer than you guys have been alive, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, I mean, I, it's my privilege to testify. A life without sex is not a life without love, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Because there's, as I said, there's different kinds of love. Yeah. Um, but when you, you know, when you let your sexual desires be in charge of everything, 
um, then you you run the risk of of just jumping into bed without even friendship there, without any real kind of relationship. And again, this is not unique to people with same sex attraction. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, we were talking a bit before about complementarity, right? And the differences between men and women are God given, right? And and the Catechism says they're actually an antidote to the original sin, right? That in marriage, the differences, physical, spiritual differences between men and women draw them out each towards the other right make them more generous people hmm, yeah. and then then procreativity in in the marriage relationship draws them out from be, just being kind of focused on on their sexual relationships like well no we have to be thinking of family and the future and being responsible for a human life that we create together right mm-hmm. so so complement complementary and procreativity put sex in the context to make people more generous people there's another way to learn to be a more generous person that's with a challenging friendship where you're have to forgive a lot where you say what people need to hear and not what they always want to hear where you're honest where you're committed where there's not a vow to keep you there and you have to like practice loyalty every day you know Mm -hmm. that kind of challenging friendship makes you more generous person too that's scary if you've been rejected and hurt before right and so lots of times you know you find somebody who's you know who you like being with and the temptation is to get a guarantee by jumping into bed with that person and so you don't get the benefit of procreativity and complementarity. You don't get the benefit of a challenging friendship. And you, you end up in a much more selfish place in terms of relationship where it's about what you want and your desires than about the other. I mean, that's that's the definition of the hookup culture that right. many yeah. young people live in today. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so I want to make sure I get this. So as a as there's Catholic dads out there listening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have been approached or maybe they could, they could be approached it. In, in the future, or they say their son or daughter comes up to him and says, Dad, I think that I'm struggling with same-sex attraction. As a Catholic dad, uh, wh- what do we do? Well, what, first, what's the best thing yeah, to do? First, listen. Right. right. Well, first, thank them for, for confiding in you and let them know that, that that doesn't change how you love them one little bit, right? That they're still exactly the same person they were five minutes ago mm-hmm. before you knew this about them. Thank them for confiding in you. Tell them that you understand this is, is an important part of their life but it's not the only important thing about them and that the most important thing about them is that they're a son or daughter of God and that he's got a plan for their life and he's got a plan for their relationships and for how they use their body and, and for, you know, for how they show their love and, and that, you know, you're just convinced that following God's plan is always going to make them happy. Right. And then listen, tell them, look, I, I, you just told me this. You've been obviously thinking about this for a long time. I want to know like what this is about for you. Like, what does it mean? Just tell me, everything like how are you feeling and and what are you looking for and and why do you why why is this on your mind and you know tell me about is there somebody that you're that you're thinking about in this regard like what does that person mean for you what are you looking for and help them to understand the difference between friendship and eros right help them to understand if if what they're looking for is a is a close intimate friendship but the world is telling them well then it has to be sexual like speak into that right Mm -hmm. but listen and listen and listen some more and make sure that you're hearing you know what's really going on in their hearts and then when you've heard their story, you take their, their desires seriously, you take their story seriously, helps them to take it seriously mm-hmm. and be able to ask good questions if they're mature enough to ask, like, what am I looking for? Am I finding what I'm looking for? Um, am I making compromises with what I know is right? And then once you've heard their story, you can share the rest of the story. You know, what does the church say about God's plan for sexuality? What does the church say about God's plan for family? With little kids, you know, who ask questions about, you know, what's what's this about? They see it on TV or they hear about it at school. I think, you know, you have to be age appropriate in terms of sexual education, obviously. But you can never go wrong by just talking about the goodness of God's plan for marriage and family. 
you know, that God makes mommies and daddies different because it, it helps them to love each other more, right? And that you need both mom and dad, you know, so that the, the, the family has the best footing, you know, and that when mom and dad love each other, God allows them to help him create new life. And only moms and dads can do that together, right? Talk about that, you know, just at an age-appropriate level, how beautiful, how good complementary procreativity are, what they're for, what they mean. Um, when they get a little older, that sex has a context and a purpose, and it's all about complementary procreativity and that permanent faithful relationship of marriage. If they hear the the, the plan over and over in, in a way that they can take in, then they'll start to instinctively understand that not just homosexual actions, but pornography and masturbation and, and adultery and fornication and all those other things that why they're wrong because like this is the beauty of the great big plan that God has for us and these things fall short so I don't want to fall short I want to go for the, the the whole thing yeah, yeah. also yeah. go to encourage yeah yeah rc yeah. dot is it encourage encourage is, is part of the courage rc website okay. Okay. okay okay good and ultimately it comes down to like what St. Thomas Aquinas said is Love is willing the good of another. Yep. It's not emotion. It's not, you know, it, it's all that, but it's willing the good of the other. Indeed. We're so, all, we all just want to get to heaven. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Father Philip, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's been such a joy. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, we're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.